Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Well, I thank Pastor Frank for kicking things off last week in our more series, looking at, at our mission statement. Uh, we want to know God more deeply. We want to love others more completely. We want to live life more fully. And this morning, our theme is love. Last week, I wasn't here because I was loving on my mom. It was her 80th birthday. And for my mom's 80th birthday, my dad's been gone since 99. I said, Mom, what do you want? How can we love you? Uh, myself and my older brothers, and we, big family spread coast to coast. Hard to get everyone in one place, even in the summertime, let alone fall with college and everything else. She said, I'd love to spend a weekend with, with you and your brothers. We're going to make that happen. So thank you, Pastor Frank, for last week uh, filling in. I was down in, in Oakland, and the first big event, we're like, we're having all these big plans for my mom's 80th. So, Mom, how do you want to start the weekend off? She said, I want us to go visit my financial planner. <laughs> so that's what we did. We met with a financial planner. She just wanted for us to know, understand, there's a family trust and inheritance and, and where all the money's hidden under the mattress. If you're watching online, that's where it is. You, but it, no, no, it, well, uh, it was just a great time to, to be with, with her and family. Um, so delighted to be back in our series, really explaining what it is when we say more God, more love, more life, and that's our mission. It's on our t-shirts, it's on your sweatshirts. Someone asks you about that, what, what's our church all about? We're helping you articulate that. So this morning, we're going to look at a very familiar story in Scripture, and to read it, I'd like to invite Gracie Weiss to come up, freshman at Tahoma High. Let's give her a hand. And she needs a, a mic. David, can you grab that mic for her? And let's stand as a congregation to honor God's word as Gracie comes, shows her bare pride, and reads God's word. So this is Luke 10, 25 through 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So we asked Jesus, and who was my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man who was going down from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. denarii and gave them to an innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Please be seated. I imagine most of us here and maybe most people you know have heard of the Good Samaritan. 
but probably haven't heard the story in its context. Strip this parable out of its context, and, and the best we can come up with is a, a message that's going to sound pretty uh, preachy. A lot of pastors don't like the word preachy when they're being preachy. They like to use the word practical. But really, if you take it out of its context, what we're left with, just the story that Jesus told, uh, let's just face it, it'd be pretty preachy. And so this is what we'd be left with. I could do one of three things. I, I could moralize it, and I could say the moral of the story is love others. I just say that 15 times. Maybe I throw in a couple of illustrations. Love, 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 love others. Love is all you need. Go and do that really, really well. We'll see you next week. That's pretty practical, kind of preachy. Or I could moralize it and add a little dash of religion. Uh, this is how to be a good Christian. Try harder, be better. Don't just love, love sacrificially. How many of you uh, can remember WWJD? What would Jesus do? Let's add a little religion to What would Jesus do in that context? He would love sacrificially. Pastors love adjectives like, yeah. Now, if I really want to go all out, go all the way, I would, I would try to use this as an opportunity to blast people. The exact opposite of what I should be doing in the pulpit. I become very self-righteous, and my voice, my octave goes up like this. So the moral of the story is love others. Love them sacrificially, church, and love them more than those unloving, intolerant, religious type people. You know the type I'm talking about, right? We're better than they are, aren't we? And in the sermon, we pat ourselves on the back, we go home and watch the birds beat up on the birds this afternoon. Mission accomplished. That's the best I could hope for in a message, taking the parable of the Good Samaritan out of its context and only allowing us to look at half the meaning. There is some truth to points one, two, and three, but, but half the truth is often a lie. You see, interpret this parable out of its context and you'll be misled to interpret it, to, to sum it up with a little moralism, a, a little religion, a little self-righteousness, and that is the exact opposite of what Jesus' point is in the message. So let's look at the parable, but first in its context, and let's invite the Holy Spirit to, to guide us into a deeper, not just an understanding but understanding here and then action of that, to apply it, to experience what we, what we mean when we say more love as a church and as individuals. So if you have your Bibles open, let's follow along. L look at the in context, okay? Here we have a conversation between Jesus, and it says a, an expert in the law. Basically, he's, he's an attorney and he's a theologian kind of in, in one. And there are two sets of questions and answers between Jesus and this law expert. In these two matching dialogues, first the, the lawyer asks a question. Jesus answers the question, how? With his own question. Love that. And then the lawyer answers Jesus' question because he's sort of caught off guard. Like, okay, I, I guess I'll answer your question first. Then Jesus answers the question the lawyer's asked. Are you with me so far? Yeah, let's see, I'll show you what I mean. Look at verses 25 to 28. So the Lord, it says, he stands up to test Jesus. Nothing inherently wrong with that. that. That's the way things would be done. You wouldn't wave your hand. You would just 
stand and you would be called on and, and so you would ask a question of a, of a teacher to test their wisdom. Nothing inherently wrong with that, but we, we'll see in just a moment this, this uh, law expert has some, some different motives going on. And so look at verse 27. He asked Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And how does Jesus respond? He asks a question. He says, well, what's written in the law? What's written in, in Torah? And God's perfect law, the, the, the very words of God that communicate the holiness, the absolute otherness of God, what is written there? How do you read it, he asks. Now, now why do you think Jesus would answer his question with another question? Whenever Jesus, is, Jesus uses this technique, he always does so to draw uh, the person he's dialoguing with into a deeper meaning, and to draw you and I into something deeper, something deeper that's going on to clarify the gospel. So, so what's he after here? Look, look at the question again. Look at the question. What must I do to inherit? If you inherit something, it's not because you've done anything, right? It's because you've been born into the right family. That's like saying, Mom, what must I do to inherit my one-third of, of your trust, of, of all of your inheritance when you pass away? I don't have to do anything. I'm, I'm her son. Inheritance is based on a relationship, not an achievement. Do you, do you see how his question sort of shows that he, he doesn't really understand uh, the, the world in light of the gospel of grace? He doesn't get it yet. And so Jesus knows this lawyer is a bit clueless. And so he asks this question. And what I think is going on here in, in his first question is he's helping the lawyer, he's helping you and I shift our thinking. Jesus asks, what's written? What is written in the law? The perfect law of God that we'll read in Romans says it only serves one purpose at this point, to convict us of our sin because we see a sense of God's holiness and his perfect character and all what God expects of us. What do we see there? Our unworthiness. That's what we see. He says, you're an expert. How do you read it? Now, the answer that the expert gives is spot on. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.5, and he quotes Leviticus 19.18. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. And what does Jesus say? That's it. You got it. Love God perfectly every moment of every day for the rest of your life. In absolutely every situation you find yourself, love him with every fiber in your being, and you've got it. You've earned it. Oh, and by the way, love your neighbor perfectly. In the most absolute sense of the word, love them all the time. Husbands and wives, raise your hand if in the past year you have loved your spouse perfectly. Oh, oh, it's going to be a long drive home. Oh, Gavin. Woo. If you could love God perfectly, if we could obtain this level, this degree that the law lays out, you'd have no need for a savior. You would have earned it. No need to inherit. You've got it. It's yours. You'd be part of God's household because you deserve it. You worked hard enough. You tried hard enough. You see what he's drawing out here? 
Now, now, now there, there are some people like this lawyer who read Jesus' words and they say, well, I, I live like that. I, I, I can do that. We, compared to other people, those people, I'm definitely doing that. I can moralize it. I can be very righteous in my, in my own outlook of life. What's going on? Jesus is exposing this law expert. Eternal life can't be earned. Consider the, the degree to which the Lord sets the standard of love for the Almighty and for every human being that you come in contact with. No, eternal life is a gift. It's a gift from God by his grace and his love. This guy doesn't know how much God loves. He doesn't know more love yet. And so when Jesus says, do this and live, do you see it? It says, do this and live on the, on the next slide. I think he's being ironic. I think he's being ironic. Yeah, go ahead and go do that. Now, there's a second dialogue. Look at verse 29. Verse 29, now we get to motive. Think about, like, I feel like I'm in a, a courtroom, you know, you have dialogue back and forth with the attorney, but then you, you sort of sense, well, is there, what's the motive? What's going on here? Look at verse 29. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus a follow-up question. Um, okay, smarty pants, who is my neighbor? He, he already thinks, I can, I can do what it takes to inherit eternal life. He feels like I can check that box, love God, try harder, be better, I can check that box. He doesn't get it. Jesus says, love your neighbor. Hmm, like an attorney, what's he do? Let's define our terms, Jesus. What do you mean by neighbor? I mean, how, how high is that bar? Who, who is my neighbor? Does Jesus answer his question right away? No. He answers, before he answers it, he draws out yet again the deeper meaning of God's love by telling him a story. And so that, with that context, I know you're like, when are we going to get to the parable? Here it goes. It's 17 miles from Jerusalem all the way down to Jericho. You can go there. I was there three years ago. And literally, that's the topography. Jerusalem's up on, up on a hillside, and you go downhill 17 miles, a, a rough downhill trek to the town of Jericho. This Jewish man in the story, uh, we, we don't know his social rank. We don't know his name. We just know that he was attacked as he left the city of peace and got jumped. They take his clothes, they beat him, and they leave him for dead. Then we see a priest and a Levite, and Levites are assistants to the priest, or assistant to the priest, hurry past the victim on the other side of the road. Now, in every parable of Jesus, there's always one big aha surprise moment, like a head-scratching, wait, what? What happened in the story? This isn't that moment. For a priest or a Levite, to, to lend aid to someone in need would make them ceremonially unclean. And this is just an ordinary day, but there are robbers around. And so it would make sense that they would hurry along down the road and carry about their business. This priest and this Levite, they're not bad people, but they are busy people. But what is surprising is that it is a Samaritan who stops to help. That's the aha moment. You see, the, the Samaritans were considered by the Jews that are hearing the story as half-breeds. They would use that term. 
They were sworn enemies of the Jewish man lying there in his own blood. Yet it is a Samaritan who stops and loves. Pastor Frank put it this way. I love it. He said, the robber said, what's yours is mine. I'll take it. The priest and Levite say, what's mine is mine. I'll keep it. Only the Samaritan says, what's mine is yours. I'll give it. Look closely at how he loves. Look at how costly his love is. Look at his care, his compassion, his commitment. He takes responsibility for a crime victim. Facing the same danger as the priest and Levite, whose sworn duty, by the way, are, is to take care of people. Like they, they said, scouts honor, I'll take care of people. And they hurry by. In the same scary moment, the Samaritan, a sworn enemy, stops he has compassion. He provides emergency medical care, transportation, shelter, friendship, a hefty financial subsidy, and even a follow-up visit. Now, Jesus follows up the story with his own question. Not answering the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? Jesus turns it around on him. He doesn't answer his question. He doesn't say, oh, who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is a fellow Jew or it might be an outsider, or someone else in need. Just, just try better and try harder to love people. Leviticus 19.18 already covers that. You know, Jesus answers with his own question. Which of these three? The priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? Put yourself in the story. Friends, listen. You are not the hero in the story of the Bible. This attorney is not the hero. He sees himself in it. And don't we do that? Oh, well, what would I do if I saw a need, if, if I saw a car crash? I would jump out and help. She says, no. You're the victim. You're the one left for dead, bleeding. Which one of these three was a loving, a loving neighbor to you? Put yourself in the story. Jesus transports the, the lawyer and you and me into the story, into the shoes of the shoeless one. He, he uses the story to flip the conversation on its head. It's not uh, who is my neighbor, uh, who am I responsible to love, but who is the one who far exceeds love that you've ever seen? Who is the one who shows more love than the world has ever known? The most love. And the attorney replies, it's the one who had mercy on him. What's the point of Jesus' parable? Tim Keller puts it this way. Jesus is humbling us with the mercy God requires so we can receive the mercy God offers. This is the gospel. All of us once were lying on the side of the road, helpless, bleeding, bankrupt, passed over, calling out for help, no one caring enough to stop. And Jesus, who owes us nothing, who we despise, we want to do things our own way, we don't need you, Jesus, we use your name as a swear word, he stops he shows compassion. He gives of his spiritual riches to save us and to love us. This story, listen, 
It depicts the pattern of God's complete love. The supreme ethic of God is love. Christian love places the highest value of worth and dignity on every human being because we understand every human being to be made in the image of God. That's why in the ancient world, there was, for the first time, care and concern for people outside of your ethnic group or tribe. That's why children that were being tossed over a cliff because they were unwanted were being scooped up by Christians to say, we'll take care of them, we'll adopt them into our family. That's why tribal differences and national lines were blurred because they said, no, we are, we are one in Christ. He is our king. We have no king but, but Christ. That's why people showed value and love and dignity into every human being because the highest eth- ethic of God is love. That anyone who has experienced God's saving, redeeming, restoring, adopting love, that the Lord only gives them will then express that love. And that's what we mean by more love. They'll express that love as a sign of gratitude. Not trying to earn anything. Just express what we've received. Jesus' parable expounds the full extent of what it means to love our neighbor. He's showing you the full extent, the essence of God's love in a story that points us to himself and to the cross. Not as as a hero, putting ourselves as a hero, but as the victim. If you see yourself in that light, and you see Jesus reaching out in love for you, then you, reset, then you see him and you surrender to the Holy Spirit, and then, then you are motivated, then you are motivated to express this manner of love to God and to all. The lawyer did not get it. He didn't want to acknowledge that he was spiritually bankrupt. He did not know love. His version of love was far less. His love for God was small. His love for others was limited. What was he trying to do? He wanted Jesus to define the golden rule so he could know, well, how high is the bar that I need to step over? And Jesus responds with a story that that explodes the extent of his love for us. He shows us the extent of his love. His love points us to the cross. That's what we mean when we have more love in our mission statement. Jesus is seeking to humble us with the love that God requires so that we we will be willing to receive the love that God offers. And once we receive that gracious love of God, then we can go out and express it to other people. That's what our deacons do. Like deacons, raise your hand if you've been a deacon or if you are a deacon right now. Raise your hand. Look around, look at our deacons. When, when someone asks you, well, what do you do at your church? You're, you're the middle, you're the third, the, the second uh, leg in our stool. You're the middle of that mission statement. We're the more love part. The deacons are fielding calls from our community, people in, in dire need. They're, they're meeting the needs of strangers. They're meeting needs of people within our community. Those of you who have served on Friday night, the, the meals Friday night, what a beautiful image, this community that comes together, people in need. And, and, and some of them have food in their kitchen. Some of them don't, but they all need love, don't they? So come your Friday night. Now, now, maybe their stomach isn't empty. Maybe it is. But all of them and everyone who volunteers, this is the beautiful secret about Friday nights. We're all experiencing that love, aren't we? Okay, here's the application. Like, finally, he's going to get to the application. Three points, Pastor Frank. Here it goes. 
To inherit eternal life, you must belong to the right family. To inherit eternal life, you've got to belong to the right family. It can't be earned. It turns on your faith in Jesus. You can't qualify to inherit eternal life. None of us, not for a day, not even for an hour, can love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And none of us could possibly love our neighbor to the sacrificial extent that this parable lays out. You cannot try hard enough. It can't be done. So don't ever moralize and sanitize the gospel by making it practical, attainable, bite-sized. Where we start is experiencing Jesus coming to you. You're lying in the street. You're beaten. You're broken. Others have passed by, but he spots you. He knows you by name, and he comes, and by the riches of heaven, he exchanges it for you. He pays your bills. He carries you to safety. No copay. No deductible. Number two. Clearly, Jesus does want us to do something, right? He wants us to bear the fruit of love. He says, go and do likewise. Our, our purpose, our vision, our mission statement, they all include the word love because love is our highest value as a church. It's our highest ethic. So I love that very wise women and men who've led this church for many, many years have included love in our purpose statement, our vision statement, and our mission. Why? You need a scripture? You just have one here, Luke 10. How about this one? 1 John 4, 7 to 13. Listen to this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Does every, is that true? I mean, do you, you know people that are loving, right? but not the super, supernatural kind of love that John's writing about. Whoever does not love in the supernatural way does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might be saved through him. This is what Elder Brian and the worship team were leading us in worship to focus on, that he loved us first. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God has so loved us, since we have this understanding, this motivation, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete. Love others completely in us. This is how we know that we live in him, and he in us. He has given us his spirit. Do you see how how it works together, the bearing of fruit. It's a spiritual work that God's doing. That's why our purpose says, because of deep's, God's deep love for us, we exist as a church to restore people into the full life through Jesus Christ. Our vision is to live missional lives that communicate the transformative and unconditional love of God through authentic relationships and acts of compassion. And we've been spending this whole month talking about our, our mission to love others. To love people in our church. The Bible has at least 50, more than 50, one another's. We're, we're to love one another as a church family. Jesus says in John 13, uh, 13 and 35, by this all the world will know that you are my disciples the way you treat one another. Let's express love to one another. And is it going to be messy? getting involved in people's lives, 
forgetting people that hurt your feelings, forgetting people that, that break the social contract. We, we're all part of this in a social contract, right? That, yeah, it's messy. But before we start worrying about loving and how other people love, let's start loving one another. And I see so much love in our church. Number three, and finally, the way we can best love God and love others, the way we can best witness his spirit through us is by walking the road to Jericho. I'm speaking metaphorically. I'm not sure where Jericho is. It's not like south of Ravensdale. Metaphorically, we're walking on this road. I think our, our deacons get this, but we all need to consider how we're to do this too, to put ourselves out there. Walking the Jericho road back and forth, it means having eyes to see and ears to hear people that are, are broken, people that are passed by. It means stopping because our Lord stopped first for us. You say, well, what difference can, can I do? If there's someone on the street panhandling or there's someone over here living in a tent city, what's the difference between me helping them and anyone else? Because you, the Bible says, are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are an agent of God and we still believe in miracles, amen? So you're put in a situation when you say, I just want to pray for this person. Power can come in that. I just want to pray for my neighbor. I'm going to knock on that door. I'm going to be kind to that teacher that's really irritating me. And by that, the love that God has poured into you will bear fruit. It will bear fruit. We will hear testimonies. We will see marriages saved. We will see lives made whole again. People will say, someone stopped and they cared enough. They they, they, they said something to me that I was just waiting for God to speak, but they, he spoke through someone from this church. Each and every one of you has the Holy Spirit, and so we believe in supernatural, transformative love. Friends, put your faith in Jesus, who alone can forgive your sins, bind your wounds, and carry you to safety. He paid it all for you. He made you acceptable before God, and, and he went all the way to the grave and back again. And then he gave us his Holy Spirit, the person of God who will work powerfully within you to love God and love your neighbors. Oh, how he loves us, how he loves us so. Let's pray. Lord, our paradigm is the Samaritan who risked his safety, skipped his schedule, got dirty through personal involvement with a needy person, of another race and social class. Enable us to obey you and love one another and love others as you taught us. May we always be motivated by the gospel, not moralizing, not adding religion or being self-righteous, but out of gratitude. We want to follow you with our cross on our back on the road to Jericho. Lord, remind us today that you are the vine and we are the branches. If we obey your commandments, your love, we remain in your love. Lord Jesus, you said to us that your commandment is to love each other as you have loved us. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Lord, may we be friends to the friendless. May we have eyes to see. May we not be so busy that we do what's so ordinary, but Lord, may you use us to witness the extraordinary. Healing power 
of your saving grace and your love. Amen.